Greetings comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today I want to talk about, well, one of those humane situations of the war, all about the wives of the Russian mobilized. The Ukrainian mobilized, well, you know, they suffer, they, they go through the war, but currently there's a movement of um, the wives of the mobilized happening in Russia, and uh, they seem to be in an interesting position. Their protests cannot be oppressed, at least not openly, since uh, their husbands and brothers and their relatives in general are out there in the front. And I, uh, I don't feel much sympathy for them, but it's a thing that causes some instability in the political sphere of, of Russia. Now, by the way, a regular news episode is coming, means that I promised you this one, and, um, and I wanted to, wanted to put some clarity on how, how these women think. First of all, well, on the 21st of November, the wives of those mobilized in Russian cities were organizing some rallies and other protests. Their main demand was obviously to bring home husbands sent to fight in the war in Ukraine. They were unhappy about the lack of deadlines and lack of everything, and well, that didn't really that didn't really pan out that well, as they were actually just allowed to um, basically protest only in a, in a culture house of one of the villages, one of the cities there. Previously, by the way, on November the 7th, I spoke about it, but just, just to remind you, on November the 7th, the um, Communist Party of the Russian Federation, yeah, they had a rally in the center of Moscow dedicated to the October Revolution. Called on Moscovites to come to the rally, State Duma deputy from um, the Communist Party, Denis Parfenov, among other things, wrote the following. Some go to the front to defend their motherland, while others continue to shamelessly trade in the riches of our land and reap huge profits. And, uh... One Moscovite, Maria Andreev, says, We thought it was an inv invitation to visit, and we came. Her cousin and husband have been both mobilized. During the rally of the Communist Party, Andreev and about 30 other women unfurled posters demanding the return of their mobilized husbands home. The action lasted only about five minutes, but it gained a lot of publicity. It was the first public demand on the wives of the conscripts to release their husbands from, from the front. The next few days, regional groups uh, of mobilized wives were full of messages of organizing, you know, messages to the mayor's office and and various applications and all this stuff. And and now, well, now they're trying to do something else, but they're facing some protests. In groups of mobilized wives, it was discussed that it seemed that they had managed to agree on a rally in Novosibirsk on November 19th, since within three days, and as established by law, the organizers did not receive a refusal to, to hold it. But a few days before the date of the rally, the refusal still came. The mayor's office's response states that the goal of the rally, to return those mobilized home, violates the principle of legality. What the violation was was obviously not stated. In Krasnoyarsk, the authorities also refused to coordinate the rally, citing COVID restrictions, says Natalia, and in Chelyabinsk they explained the refusal by saying that the application for the rally was not was submitted, not in paper, but in electronic form, which was uh, written on the blog Chelyabinsk of the Future. And again, in Novosibirsk, at the local cultural center, instead of a rally, a meeting with the authorities was held, behind closed doors. According to local publication Kurier Sreda in Vestki, the police were on duty near the building and everyone who came was checked with a metal detector and asked for documents confirming their relationship with the mobilized. Only two federal TV channels were able to attend the meeting. The rest of the media did not even receive accreditation. Neither the organizers nor the officials present reported on the specific results of the meeting. Now, there are many other meetings like this, but, uh, yeah... 
weirdly enough, weirdly enough, the the response of this for a while, at least, was the fact that, well, at least here in Novosibirsk, that you know it is better to engage in dialogue and and that we were listened to and our problems will be solved. None of their problems will be solved, obviously. But the main story was that uh, some of them were promised money because currently it seems that the big uh, solution which Putin tries to find for this whole situation is just to throw money at the problem as usual and not to do anything because, you, you know, you really can't, like I said at the beginning, can't punch them. But recently, after their whole, you know, action and everything, they, uh, they released a manifesto and a petition against this indefinite mobilization. And I bring you a translation from, of Medusa this time because, you know, they, they published it and otherwise it's very important that I translate them translate them correctly. Quote, uh, they, they in the manifesto, the draftees' loved ones called, called on their fellow citizens for help, saying that the Russian government has turned its backs on soldiers and their families. Oh, these, by the way, were published on the Telegram channel Puchi Domoy, The Way Home. Quote, We are being betrayed and exterminated by our own people. We were fucked over and you will be fucked over. All this time, all they showed us was lazy stability, reliability and safety. We remember how the president promised that the service wouldn't be called up, that only professional volunteers would fight in the special military operation. And then they sent our loved ones to Ukraine. The promises proved empty. Many will never return. Mobilization turned out to be a terrible mistake. We were punished for our law-abidingness. Law Behind the smokescreen of stability, our men pay with blood and we pay with our health and tears. Statements authors warned that nobody is immune to our loved ones' fate in the future. Though they go on to call the situation absurd and to criticize Vladimir Putin, though they also express hope that he will hear their pleas. The president has declared 2024 to be the year of the family. It's ironic, given that wives are crying without their husbands, children are going, growing up without fathers, and many have already become orphans. Meanwhile, a Satanist cannibal, uh, side note from me, no, seriously, a Satanist cannibal, uh, who had eaten his neighbors or, or, or something, who uh, reoffended after his first prison sentence will be released again in six months, having atoned for his serial murders by fighting in a special military operation. Our president does have a sense of humor, after all. Apparently, our motherland is being liberated for the very best of society. Killers, drunks, migrants, and outrageously wealthy officials and their children. Speaking of whom, why aren't they in the trenches? The same, the same Telegram channel shared the group's petition for the return of mobilized soldiers and the establishment of a maximum service term. The authors of the appeal note that they're, quote, not intended in rocking the boat and destabilizing the political situation in Russia. Now, here's the thing. I, I watched a lot of videos about this subject as well, and one thing that I saw was, at this point, you can even indirectly hear that the wives of the mobilized are, it's not even complaining, indir again, indirectly, how, they, uh, how they're against the war, because I remember one of them saying, uh, and that was in, Michael Naki's show how they as women as mothers are instinctively against the war because you know they didn't they didn't create their children to to be killed in wars they created them to be you know to, to procreate once again but they can't be openly against the war so they always have to state that they just want to you know other people now to go out and die and murder and all this stuff but this is a complex subject because again a lot of people don't feel any sympathy sympathy for them after all their husbands could have avoided mobilization, which back at the time apparently uh, would cost you 3,500 rubles, which is about uh, 35 euros or, or $40 or so. That's one thing. Other thing is that 
you can i think at least you can tell that some of them are actually actually against the war but by how much and, and how how should we treat them and how how should this whole thing function how much you should sympathize with them and um and what's what's their meaning in the current political situation and what's going on in their heads are we looking at it as something like another you know women's march like happened in 1917 back in the revolution revolution always in russia tends to start with women Therefore, this is important. And this is why I do not feel exactly 100% competent to tackle this problem alone. Which is why I have David with me here. She'll explain a bit about herself as I introduce her. But uh, yeah, I think we really need a feminine perspective on this one. But before we switch over to that, uh, I'd like to remind you that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Eastern Border. Where if you like the show, you can go and become our patron and support us there. And also, if you go and click on our homepage, theeasternborder.lv, which we fixed, mind you, because we uh, we couldn't upload previous past few episodes because it was overloaded with uh, hateful comments and, um, well, we just ran out of space as well. Now our space limits have been increased, so episodes are going to be up there once again. And yeah, you can go and click the donate button there to help our show directly with one-time donations. And of course, join our Discord. I'm pretty sure there are links on our Patreon and, well, mostly everywhere to find it out. And if you don't know how, you can always just email me at theeasternborder at gmail.com. Sorry. And then, well, I'll give you all the instructions and all the links. Because posting them publicly, yeah. We're becoming a pretty big Discord, you see. Uh, about about a thousand people are there. And I know a lot of them lurk, but still. But now, you know, now that I've done, gone through the shilling and everything... Time to talk to Evita a bit. See, Evita here is special. She's uh, she's grown up in, in a bit of a mixed family, but uh, I'll tell you, I'll allow you to hear that from herself. So, Evita, hello, welcome to the Eastern Border once again. I know this is your second time, and uh, I hope that you'll you won't feel shy and you know everyone's friendly here. But now, please go on and um, talk about but yourself and what do you think about this matter until I prepare some questions for you. Yeah, hi, Christops. Happy to be here. Uh, about myself, yes, uh, as you told already, I grew up in a very Russian-oriented environment. Um, and as you said, I'm, I'm from mixed family. Uh, my dad is a Latvian and my mom is Polish-Belarusian. And uh, I spent my childhood summers in uh, deep, deep... Uh, village in uh, Belarus, in basically nowhere, and uh, Russian-oriented uh, environment, what I mean by it, uh, I had a lot of Russian childhood friends, uh, met mainly uh, Russians, uh, friends of my family, movies, books, uh, comedy shows, and so on. Before before I move forward, do you have any friends that you have lost contact with because of the war? Actually, no. I have lost contact uh, with my uh, family because of the war. Because uh, half of my family lives in Belarus and uh, in Russia. And we can't uh, communicate freely because they are extremely afraid for themselves. Okay, so as we're talking about Russians here, uh, and you're mostly Belarusian, how would you compare and uh, how would you, how would you compare these two peoples? Uh, we all know Lukashenko is very pro-Russian, but 
culture-wise, how close are Belarusians and, and Russians? In my childhood, uh, as I noticed, especially young children tried to be as close to Russia as possible because for Belarus, as uh, crazy as it sounds maybe to Westerners, uh, after they have seen the, the realities of Russia, for Belarusians to live in Russia is a great improvement. And uh, my friends ac actually strived for that, to live in Russia in the future. But... Um, Adults mo I had contact with mostly were Poles, and uh, of course uh, they were not so eager to be Russian-oriented. Okay, but but about the Russian women and Russian Russian mothers, you know more about this than I do. So, what's what's the attitude there? What's the general cultural feeling? Why are why are they kind of sacred there? Why, why isn't Putin just well besides the fact that some the, their husbands might come home with guns? Why are they they so complacent, so to speak? Why why don't we see more revolutionary action there? They're sort of trying to do their protests, and this whole manifesto is the most open thing out there because the hatred is coming out finally. But it's very slow, and it's been what almost two years of the war, and they're they're just you know, worried about the situation. Explain to to me and to the listeners how how wives and, and women are treated in general in, in Russian culture. Uh, you said they are presented as sacred and and so on. I would say that's just a public image, um, how they, they are so proud of the mothers and, and so on, mostly because they are mothers of soldiers. So, of course, they need to be proud of them. They need to uh, say how great of a human beings they are and, and so on. But in reality, there's no sacred in being a mother in Russia. That's more like uh, everyday thing. That, that, that is a thing you must uh, perceive as a woman. Because as we know, Russia is more, uh, much, much, more, uh, much more conservative and traditional culture. And being a mother, there is... Maybe obligation is not the best word for it, but um, it's your duty. Um, it, it's only natural that you become a mother at one at one point in, in your life. So they don't receive so much praise for it, only publicly, maybe. Well, well publicly, they receive a lot of praise. I, I know they have a lot of culture of, uh, well... You know, or the, the, the women will, will give birth to more. I thought that it was just, you know, quite, quite the opposite thing that, well, the, the mothers, if you're a mother at least, then you get a lot of praise there. But, you know, then again, uh, we've seen a lot about Russian, Russian dating things and we, we've seen a lot about domestic, domestic violence and everything. What is, what is the real situation then if it's, if it's not, not this uh, kind of valuation of, of women as mothers? You are just a workforce there that gives birth to children. That's uh, what I would describe it like. You are not special. You are not uh, to be. Uh, you are not to demand some special treatment. You go to work. You give birth to children. You work at home as well. Uh, on top of that, you uh, on top on top of that you go to work, um, and. Uh, 
I, I would say that many women there are like workhorses. Yes, but what then drives them uh, to to do out to go to these protests? I mean, they have uh, they have this attitude there, at least in the official in the official treatment that the government portrays as uh, saying that the wives of of these mobilized only want only want their monetary monetary kind of uh, recompensations instead of their husbands back. And so they're trying to solve this problem by throwing money at, at, at uh, the wives. Do you think it works? And why would it? And why wouldn't it? Maybe it works only for a little bit while they are not desperate as much, but they are getting more desperate every day because their husbands are away for so long and so many of them lost their husbands. And in Russia, to be alone is extremely hard. You marry not only because you uh, fell in love with the opposite hu- with the with the other human, but uh, also because that's just the way of life as it per- as it is it is per- perceived there. It's hard to survive alone. You need to form the form those relationships. Do you think some of these women they would go and protest if the war wasn't going so bad? Would they actually be? protesting out if the husbands would be still mobilized, but uh, Russia, Russia would have made some gains or something. That is actually a very interesting thing to think about. Let's say their husbands are treated just as badly, uh, no rotation, no supplies, and so on. Um, a lot of them die daily, but Russia is gaining a lot of progress. Um, in that situation, I think even the society would turn against wives and mothers if they tried to protest because those lost lives of soldiers would seem as a worthy sacrifice. Do you think maybe maybe because of how women are traditionally treated inside those, the culture, and we've spoken a lot about on previous episodes of the show, um, not on the war specifically, but in the historical ones, about the whole family culture over there, do you think some of them at least would definitely prefer the compensation instead of their husbands returning? I don't want to dehumanize Russian uh, women and say, yes, of course, just look at their lives, their husbands beat them all the time, and who wouldn't prefer to have a lada instead? Not like you can have a lada now, anyways. But... uh, I believe many of them are extremely scared of their go- of the government because they know what it's capable of really well and many lost their hope already so they do their math and decide to maybe th- to take the compensation while it's still there because if if they say no if, if they are as, as they m- maybe some say prideful and so on, uh, th- there there will be nothing left. No, no husband, no no money, no lad, <laughs> so so to speak. And after all, in Russia, it's not about truth or justice. It's about survival. Well, you say it's about survival, but that's a political question here. Uh, I'd like to end up with this because. A lot of political analysts are stating that this could grow into something. Do you think this could possibly grow into something? Because again, I mentioned earlier that protests of women have 
traditionally started a lot of a lot of changes inside of Russia. Can this dissatisfaction lead to something serious? Lead to some political changes? Maybe, well, let's just say, make Putin's life a bit more difficult when the March and elections come. Then I need to ask, uh, when was the last time some dissatisfaction led to real governmental changes? Uh, I think that Russians, not only women, but Russians as is, they don't know how to how to do it, how to fight for their rights. They need to learn it anew, the hard way. And as long as mothers and wives of mobilized keep protesting quietly and playing by the rules of Putin, I think nothing nothing will change. It maybe will be some a little bit of. Uh, problem for for him but um, nothing that can't be changed and they need to they they really need uh, the mothers and wives really need support from the others especially the mobilized uh, and they need to be aggressive to literally fight for their rights not just beg that's the only way i see something will change oh that's a bit grim but you know it is what it is. At least that's the political movement that they currently have. Thank you, Evita. And uh, that's it for today, comrades. And, well, something to think about. Something to think about to you, our women listeners. What would you do if your son would be mobilized? It makes you also kind of rethink how did, um, how did things happen in the Vietnam War when the United States were in the draft and in a somewhat pointless situation there. Kind of interesting to compare and contrast but um, we'll be back with the news as usual and as always remember happiness is mandatory